Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 296. We create or magnify the feeling of stress by the way we're choosing to think about things. Attention, gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue, and thanks for spending some time with me today. Right smack dab in the middle of holiday sales season. Maybe you're listening as you're packing up and shipping out orders. I hope you have some holiday music playing. Maybe a nice cup of cocoa or something special to remember that all of this hard work, although super busy, can be enjoyable too. Find some things that make you smile and add them to your environment to make this time special for you too, because you deserve that. Look, you're running around like crazy to ensure everyone else has a festive holiday and yours should be too. For me, it's holiday scented candles and cinnamon or peppermint-flavored coffee in the mornings. Maybe even a stray trip to Starbucks for a desserty drink, like a peppermint white chocolate mocha latte. Oh, yum, I can see that now. (laughs) Point is, it's the holidays, you guys. Let's grab our share of the joy, too. This attention to how you consciously manage through your days leads right into our topic not just for the holidays, but for every day of the year. The conversation we're going to get into today revolves around focus, overwhelm, and stress, but in a way that I think will bring you relief and a way of coping with these feelings that, let's face it, we all have from time to time to varying degrees. I had some insight myself when I was talking with Sean. I am now defining myself as an introverted extrovert. Perhaps you are too. Let's see. Today, it is my pleasure to bring you Sean Roney. As a life coach, Sean educates to increase awareness and coaches to help uncover obstacles that may be causing overwhelm and stress. Certified through the Life Coach School and the International ADHD Coach Training Center, She helps clients reduce stress by learning how to better manage their minds. She's driven by the desire to help neurodivergent minds access their brilliance. As a creative serial entrepreneur, she's owned a dance studio, a furniture repurposing business, and created a product called Twinkle Ties before becoming a coach. As an introverted extrovert, she'll stay home and read or hit the town and boogie down with the best of them. Her favorite ways to spend time are reading and playing board games or spending time outside with her adult children, husband, and their dogs, Mizo and Mojo. Sean, welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Thank you, Sue, for having me. I'm so excited to have this conversation. I am too. And we were talking a little bit in the pre-chat about how we did an episode just a little bit back on stress reduction and everybody was all over that show. So it worked out so perfectly that we're together again and we can continue the conversation in a little bit of a different vein. 
timing couldn't be better. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And as we get started, I always begin by having our guests share themselves in a little bit of a different way. And that is through a motivational candle. So if you were to form a candle that's all about you, Sean, tell us what your motivational candle would look like by color and quote. So the color would be orange. And what stood out to me with orange is it's bright, it's bold, it's warm. The quote, I actually kind of have two because one feels more motivational than the other. So the motivational piece of it is life isn't about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. And it's by George Bernard Shaw. And what goes with that is never follow an unscarred general into battle. That was initially my quote. And I'm like, it's just not super motivational if you just listen to it. I actually don't know who quoted it originally. I heard a woman named Amanda Ellis speak about it. It stands out to me because I think people often look to others as experts that don't share their same life struggle. And I see that a lot, I think, with the people that I work with. So keeping in mind, never follow an unscarred general into battle. You want to find someone who has been there before that kind of guides you, share your experience and guide you through. Well, and I think you're right. If they share struggles that you have, you feel more connected with them. And I'm sure you trust them more because of that shared experience. What also popped out to me when you were saying that is always have to be careful of who you follow because especially right now online, everybody can state whatever they want, <laughs> right? And so there are so many people online who are doing things or teaching things that they haven't done before. And we all know the truth behind all of this is it's not 100% perfect. For sure. That's one thing I think within our community here, I call the audience gifters, bakers, crafters, makers, listeners, you guys know that that's you. We always want everything to be perfect yeah. because we're making it with our own hands and it represents us from a soul level almost, the products that we make. We've got to know that starting a business and running things is never always going to be perfect. <laughs> so true. Yes. Following somebody and trusting somebody who's shared where they've struggled, I think is really important. So I love both your quotes, but I wanted to just extend my thoughts onto the second one. So Sean, talk to us a little bit about your journey and how you got to be a life coach. Yes. Yeah, so I was the person who never knew what they wanted to be when they grew up to the point that I actually gave presentations to my middle school on career day about that subject. And so I think my career path was really in many ways, not typical which kind of goes along with, I think, how I describe myself and how I function. So many different career paths. I started in child development. I wanted to be a psychologist. And then I did everything in between. The road went many different directions until I ended up as a coach. And it was after I hired my first coach, actually. And it had made such a difference for me that I then turned around and wanted to offer the same thing to others. I think the common thread through it all was that I was always kind of coaching people no matter what role I was in. I was listening kind of in that coaching position. So were you the friend that everyone always turned to when they needed a shoulder to cry on, words of advice, boyfriend breakup, drama, all that? Yes. And I feel like the more obvious thing was like strangers, like strangers in the grocery store or like I would go to get my hair cut and they'd say how, you know, hairstylists are like therapists. They, they listen. I would actually reverse the role. So I would be in the chair and feel like I was the one that was doing the coaching or the listening. Oh, that's so funny. 
I think it's so interesting how things that naturally came to us when we were growing up are things that we circle back to. The talents that we had at one time, even you probably didn't recognize this for yourself, that this could be something that you could do as a profession. It's so true. It's so interesting. I have to do this because I'm just so super curious. So we said in the intro, several of the businesses that you had, but one of them sparked my curiosity, which was your product Twinkle Ties. Can you tell us what that was? Yes, it was a product that I created to keep tap shoe ties together. They were giant gemstones, basically acrylic stones, basically a super fancy ponytail holder Mm -hmm. that I repurposed into a tie for tap shoes so that children like five and under could just slip them off and on their feet. Oh, so they were flexible. So you wouldn't have to tie the shoes all the time. You wouldn't have to tie the shoes all the time. You'd put the twinkle ties on once and then you'd not have to mess with them ever again. I would have 15 kids sometimes in an hour long class and I would spend half the class tying tap shoes. It solved that problem and I decided, you know, this is great. I'm going to actually create it, package it, market it. I sold it to dance supply stores. At one point, I thought I would take it on Shark Tank. And then I realized, actually, it was just a super fancy ponytail holder and could not be patented and all the things and just ended up doing it for fun. It was like a handmade craft project. There you go. For fun. You made some money along the way and it solved a need. It's a great story because so often products that get created are because they're someone struggling with something and finds a solution. And then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, this is something that maybe other people could use too. Yes. So very interesting. Okay, so let's jump back to life coaching. I think there are a lot of people who are like, well, I could be a life coach. I know a lot. I've lived, you know, if you want to go down that angle, but you knew that you needed more to be able to say and qualify yourself as a life coach. Not being very familiar with this industry, what happened from there to get training so that you could actually be educated and qualified to be a life coach? I think I had some great examples. Lori Dupar, my first coach who I ended up getting certified through when she opened the International ADHD Coach Training Center, she was such a wonderful example to me of what coaching should look like, could look like. It's just so professional, such a great listener. And then learning the tools in order to do that was definitely helpful. Same with the Life Coach School. I mean, Brooke Castillo is an amazing, amazing mentor. I just knew I wanted to be the best version of what a coach looked like that I could be. I also knew that you don't need to be certified at all in order to be a life coach. There is a belief part. So it wasn't a requirement. I didn't actually think I needed it in order to coach, but I wanted it because I just felt like it would make me even better. And I also am a lifelong learner. So I think there's that component where I am always learning and growing. And then I want to share that with the people that I'm working with. Okay, that makes sense. And also like how to work with people so they can accept messages or move forward with whatever it is they're struggling with. And I'm sure there are lots of techniques. I was a communications major and a journalism major, so a lot of communicating. But there are certain ways to talk with people, not manipulative, (laughs) I want to make that clear, but to help them get to where they're trying to go. So there is a coaching aspect, I think, that can be trained. For sure. There are tools and strategies and skills that you can build up. Mm -hmm. And then I think each individual brings to it what they come equipped with. And for me, I just think there's a bit of like a sensitivity, intuitiveness, and just checking in with my gut and are we going this way or this way and being really open to the direction the client wants to head. Makes sense. Yeah, you bring your own personality and your own style to it. So I'm thinking of maybe some people who are listening here who are like, yeah, I had a life coach and it didn't really work. Well, I think sometimes perhaps 
it takes a few people to find the right connection, the right fit for you. Yes, absolutely. I would say if you're interested in coaching, don't give up. There are so many different flavors of coaches. I say this about people with ADHD tendencies as well. I know we haven't really stepped there yet, but no two people with ADHD tendencies or ADHD look alike. There's just so many different ways it can mix together and show up. The same thing goes for coaches. Well, this was a perfect segue. So let's do go there. And I would say definitely for to be an ADHD coach, you had to have training because you needed to learn and understand the latest, greatest, what's happening in that area, all of that, I'm sure. ADHD. So let me ask you a question here. I have a couple of friends recently, meaning within the last two years, you know, and I'm not just like right out of college, let's face it, who never thought there were issues or questions. And now they've been diagnosed as ADHD. The majority of the people who are listening are women who are, let's say, 40 or older. Is this something that comes on later in life? It's not that it comes on later in life. So the answer to that question would be no, specifically. Okay. Part of the way it's diagnosed is like a self-reporting and questionnaire. And one component that they look at is how long have these tendencies been with you? Has there been kind of a lifelong pattern? They may like shift a little bit over time and look different, but there is some history that's required. So what are tendencies? What does that mean? I know there's not one catch-all if you're this, 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 or this, but could you give us just a few examples? Sure. The part of the brain that ADHD affects is referred to as our executive functions. And depending on which school of thought you kind of go with and how they're categorized, I'd say there's anywhere from like four to six or seven different kind of sets of executive functions that come into play. And they deal with things like organizing and prioritizing time management, like looking at things through a linear lens versus a more circular lens. The linearness is not typically... The circular is more ADHD. For sure. Because they're not straight line focused. Now, let's face it, all of us can fit in this bucket, I think. This is my guess. You'll tell me if I'm right, John, or not. But all of us can fit into that bucket from time to time, like not being super focused not sticking to our calendar when we put everything on and said we were going to do it, looking at a messy closet and being so overwhelmed and intimidated, like you don't even know where to start to organize. Are those examples? So those I would say are examples of how it can show up. But when someone has ADHD, the level that they are experiencing all of those different things all of the time every day is exponentially higher. Okay, so you intuitively then know this isn't the way it should be. Not intuitively, but by talking with someone, you can get a sense of where they're at with it, where their level of like functioning versus non-functioning is. I'm not a doctor, so I always make it really clear if someone is challenged and experiencing these struggles and they do not have a diagnosis, that is something we talk about. And if they feel a diagnosis is helpful or what they're after, then by all means, go see a doctor and talk to them and see if they can expand your awareness and diagnose you because it'll give you a frame of reference to start with. You have more information all of a sudden that's available to you. So I think even just the awareness around it and people understanding the reason I think that there's a delay and it shows up later in life for women is that there's a tendency for the way that it shows up for women to not be as obvious. When they're younger, it tends to show up in a more daydreamy, less hyperactive fashion. 
I think when we think ADHD traditionally, we think hyperactive, can't sit in a chair. Typically, that like eight to 12 year old boy who can't keep his hands off his neighbor or is throwing things or like bouncing his foot all the time. Mm-hmm. For girls, it tended to be more of an inner hyperactivity. It's not one way or the other. All boys are this way and all girls are this way. But the majority, like a larger number of girls experience it in that more inattentive fashion. Okay, that makes a lot of sense to me because the boy, to use your example, would have been the one who got the attention. The parents would have been called in. In my day, it would have been disciplinary. I think now we understand better and would test for ADHD. But girls, because it's more inner, it's more hidden. And we probably wouldn't talk about it because we're not thinking that it's something even to talk about at that point. And then now we're older, we know more. ADHD overall as a topic is more discussed. That's really where I wanted to go with this at this point. So what you're saying is, if you're feeling something like that, talk to you, go talk to a doctor and see if this relates to you, and then you can go from there. What happens when ADHD, I'm just going to say women, get appropriate guidance? What's the difference before and after? Oh my gosh. Honestly, it can be night and day. Like I talked to so many clients who didn't know they had ADHD until later in life, got diagnosed. Some of them have chosen to take medication, which is the treatment for ADHD, are amazed at the results. Like really, because what happens is the part of the brain, it's typically neurotransmitter related, but whether more of one is needed or like the uptake of one needs to be increased. There are so many different ways medications can target the brain, and there are really a a lot of options today. For some people, literally, that can be the start of opening their eyes to a whole different kind of way of being. That being said, there are always side effects with medication. That's just part of the thing with any medication that we take. There's something to be said for finding that perfect sweet spot of the benefits, like as many of the benefits as you can receive with as few of the side effects as possible. And I think that balance can be a little bit tricky and takes a little bit of time. Regards to medication, it can be very helpful. If someone decides they don't want to try medication out the gate or they've tried it and they decide they want to look at something like an alternative, it can be helpful just the normalizing factor alone, realizing you're not on an island by yourself experiencing this struggle. That's what it feels like for many people. They're just unaware of the number, like the sheer number of other women that are experiencing this. And so I think the more connected you are and you start to learn more about it, there's a whole community out there of neurodiverse people that have ADHD. You feel just so much less alone and it really normalizes it in many ways. And I don't think that everyone has to automatically make a jump like, okay, I'm going to go get checked out. If I have ADHD, I have to take medicine because some people are really opposed to taking medication of any kind, but at least you have more information and you can make choices for yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, it's always a personal decision for sure. I just wanted to talk about that because you are a specialist here. You coach. I didn't know a lot about ADHD from that manner. I'm glad that we talked about that. And now I want to broaden the conversation a little bit more, which then relates pretty much to all our listeners. And that is... How do we deal with the stress of running a business? There's first of all stress in the beginning when you're thinking of starting a business because it's like, oh my gosh, is it going to work? What if it doesn't work? I don't want to put myself out there and then have it not work. Like all of that. Then when you actually get into a business and let's go with the fact that it's working, then there's so much around you that you're having to deal with. And maybe you're going to bring in employees and 
this is all what you want, but there's a stress level that comes with it inevitably. How do we work with some of this? Because we're really talking with you from a brain standpoint, right? That's your specialty. Yes. From a brain slash mindset standpoint, I feel like there's two components to stress. The model that I use, which is taught through the Life Coach School, super helpful. Stress actually is a feeling that we experience and we create or magnify the feeling of stress by the way we're choosing to think about things. So whatever is happening in our business, whether it's deadlines that are looming, like multiple deadlines in one week, or whether there's like a delay on product that you need for packaging, right? Like maybe there's a packaging delay and so you're not able to get everything assembled and out to fill orders that you have. Whatever is going on, the thoughts that you choose to think about it are either going to make that experience more stressful or less stressful. Typically, when we're in a high stress state, our mind is running rampant. We are like leaving control of it to our primitive brain, the part of our brain that is very reactionary and non-intentional and less thinking on purpose. We can just become aware, like in those moments when we're feeling super stressed, take a deep breath and look around and become aware of what's really happening, the facts of it, and what we're thinking about it, like all the thoughts we're having, like... I'm never going to get this finished. This is going to hold everything up. The company is going to be upset with me. The client's going to be upset with me. They're not going to get it on time. Whatever the thoughts are that are creating the stress, just notice how when you think the thought, the stress increases. And so we can ask ourselves in those moments, how do I want to choose to think about this so that I feel differently? Whatever feeling might be most supportive. You know, it might be productive rather than stress. We might want to feel productive in spite of all of the things that are happening this week? And is there a thought that can help us to stay more productive, feel more productive? So then you literally direct yourself to say something different in your thoughts. Yes. Now, it's not an affirmation. It's not something that's unbelievable. So it's not like a pretty flowery thought. For example, everything's fine. I'm just going to roll with it. If your brain does not believe everything's fine and you can just roll with it, the thought is not going to be helpful. It's going to become almost like a stressful thought to try to say over and over. So you want to find a thought that is believable. How about this? It's mid-December. The holidays are upon us. Many people in businesses like ours don't even really enjoy the holidays, which is why I had that other podcast earlier. You've got to start enjoying this. This is crazy. (laughs) You're going to be so stressed out that a holiday passes you by and you don't get any joy or happiness out of it. So from a thinking standpoint, instead of thinking, oh my gosh, Christmas is coming. I have so many orders. We're going to have so many employees here. We're going to be working late hours. I'm going to be so worn down. There's just so much going on. I'm overwhelmed. Instead, switch it and say, this is what I was hoping for. My business is a success. I know we're going to be putting in a lot of hours. We've got so many orders. Our products are going to make people so happy. And I'm so energized that everything's working so well. Would that be a good example? Exactly. So you basically flipped the script and you told the other side of the story, the other version of the story. And it's a version that's just going to feel so much better to focus on. So when you focus on that story, that narrative you just told, that is true. Your body is going to experience it in a way that feels good versus stressed. 
I'm thinking about how when we're an outsider looking in, I'll take the same example that I just said, an outsider looking in at someone who's running a business, who's getting all of that business, and there's all the hustle bustle around it. We can look envious onto that situation if that's something we aspire to. But then it seems like the second we get into our own situations is when it turns stressful and overwhelming. For sure. Again, it goes back to the way we're thinking about it. But in addition, I think there is something also to be said about the self-care component and just also making sure you're doing things that support you, whether it's enjoying a cup of hot tea before your day starts or having a favorite candle in the room that you work in or getting outside, letting snow fall on your face. You guys all know how much I love the snow. It started snowing today when we were recording. It must be a good luck charm, Sean, because it started like right as I was coming in, looking out the window in my office and getting ready to call you. So there. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) Just like pulling in that sense of wonder and like joy and little things that actually support you and feel good. Yeah. And sleep and eating healthy. This is something I think that we also get into when we're so busy, we just grab comfort food that maybe isn't so healthy, but we're like, what the heck? <laughs> you know, I, I need something to make me feel good. And then afterwards, you don't feel so good when you've eaten a bag of potato chips. or Yes, it's a quick dopamine hit. It works for a moment or two. And then it's, yeah, recovery. Right. So Gift Biz listeners, while this holiday season is upon us, and when you're feeling stress, I want you to try what Sean just said. Really focus on what you're saying to yourself and see if you can intentionally flip the script to be positive and excited about what you're doing and see how that works for you. I think that's genius, Sean. I love that. Thank you. Also, I just ask yourself, what's working with this? Like, how is this wonderful for me right now? How is this perfect? Whatever is happening. And your brain will actually find evidence that it is if you ask it to. Oh, there you go. Okay. I like that too. Perfect. All right, so let's move on to other times, just as we're working through our week. I'll speak for myself, but I think everyone can say this too, is we intend to get something done and we can so easily get off task. Yes. The whole topic of focus. We really want, genuinely want to do what we're saying, but somehow we can find different ways of not getting it done, doing something else instead. You kind of almost forget at the end of the day what you came in to do and it never got done. What can you share with us about focus? Tips on staying focused are coming up right after this quick break. Yes, it's possible. Increase your sales without adding a single customer. How you ask? By offering personalization with your products. Wrap a cake box with a ribbon saying, happy 30th birthday, Annie. Or add a special message and date to wedding or party favors for an extra meaningful touch. Where else can you get customization with a creatively spelled name or fine packaging that includes a saying whose meaning is known to a select two? Not only are customers willing to pay for these special touches, they'll tell their friends and word will spread about your company and products. You can create personalized ribbons and labels in seconds. Make just one or thousands without waiting weeks or having to spend money to order yards and yards. Print words in any language or font. Add logos, images, even photos. Perfect for branding or adding ingredient and flavor labels too. For more information, go to theribbonprintcompany.com. Focus is so interesting to me. I'm always like reconsidering and looking at it. I think so many different things come into play, but a few of the most common ones I see are when you're neurodiverse, creative, I would say, i.e. creative brains, there can be a tendency to not know where to start. 
So sometimes it's just a matter of there's so many options because our brain can see potential kind of everywhere. I think that's part of being creative. It can sometimes be hard to pin down exactly where to start, which then causes us like not to or to delay or to do other things. So that's one component. Another is that there's a thing called hyperfocus. I'm sure your listeners have experienced this where you just kind of like get into the rhythm, the flow of something and it's just happening and it's very organic and you feel like you could go for, you know, 24 hours. That's a good thing, right? It can be. It totally can be. Not if things around you, though, aren't happening that need to be. Oh, if you're hyper-focusing on the wrong thing, you mean? Yes. Or if you hyper-focus and literally lose sense of time and just you go in and you're thinking, I'm going to hyper-focus for two hours and then like nine hours later you come out. And you're like, oh my gosh, where'd the day go, right? Where'd the sun go? So could this be an artist who's painting to sell? So not just painting for fun, but painting to sell. And the painting that should only take three hours has now taken seven because every single thing has to be perfect. And in business, time is money. So would that be hyper-focusing that would not be in the best interests of someone who's an artist? It could be, but that almost sounds even a little more like perfectionism. Not even hyper-focused, maybe hyper-focused on the details of how it's not perfect. Okay. It's a little bit different. I'm talking about a little more of the hyper-focus where things are coming and happening really easily and it's really enjoyable. So the experience is enjoyable and you lose track of time there. That type of hyper-focus. The perfectionism is a different type. It is like you're hyper-focused on being critical of what's not quite right and fixing it, fixing it, fixing it. So you're saying then the losing track of time then are hours that you could have been used for something else. Yes. Or just to be aware of it, because if you can kind of be aware of when you're in that hyper-focused state, you can put tasks or things that need to be done that require more attention. Sometimes it does make sense to just keep rolling with it and knock it out. But I think being aware of it helps. So if you're completely unaware that you're doing it or like why you're hyper-focusing, being aware of why you're doing it, is it because you're being a perfectionistic person in that moment and it's not quite right? Or is it because you're really enjoying the process? It's a productive hyper-focus for you. I think there's both. So I think the power is in knowing and being aware of when you're doing it and why and kind of harnessing it. Being conscious of it and then saying, I am in the groove, this is perfect, I'm going to keep going. Or I am spending way too much time on this. Is that right? Yes. Okay. This is brand new to me because usually I'm thinking when I'm hyper-focused, it's all good because I'm productive, I'm getting it done. I might, and to your point about when you aren't sure how to start that first part, sometimes getting started takes a long time. It's like the gears churning and it's really slow. But then when you get in the groove, you're going faster. So the last thing you want to do is stop, (laughs) you know? Yes, that's true. So that's like noticing that and being like, nope, I got started and it's coming easily right now. So I'm just going to keep going. Also getting started, a lot of the time, a suggestion that's helpful is just to set a timer for 10 minutes and commit to starting anywhere And if after 10 minutes, you have not hit any type of a rhythm or flow with it, give yourself permission to stop. That can be helpful for some people, especially that are wired with a little more neurodivergent brain. And so what it does is it kind of trains your brain going forward, just start. Because if it's not coming, if we're not really figuring it out, we're going to be able to stop and then try it again a little bit later in the day or the next day. 
it can help get some people out of a rut. One of the tricks I use for myself, tell me if this is just like totally crazy or what, but if I'm in the middle of a project and I know that I'm going to need to stop and start again the next day or later in the afternoon or whatever it is, I don't get to necessarily a stopping point. I stop one step before that, something like the next easy thing that brings something to completion, because that's so easy to get done, then I get in the groove faster, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's really smart, actually. That's a great strategy. I haven't thought of that before, but it sounds like a wonderful way. You're like, I'm going to set myself up for success. So when I start again, I have a very clear thing that I'm going to do. Yeah. And then once I do that, my brain might just take it away and move into the next part. Yeah. And it's something really easy to do. And then you also get the reward of having finished it right away. So then you want to continue going. Yes. Super smart strategy. Just my little trick. (laughs) I love it. Anything else about focus that we should cover? Defining where to start. So figuring out, and I guess that goes to also creating the plan. If you have something that you're needing to do, let's take I know lots of times people are challenged with getting a website up and running. So that overall task is daunting. Just focusing on getting a website up and running, there are way too many things there. Breaking it down into separate pieces and then focusing on each individual piece gives you a place to start. Yes, for sure. When there's a huge daunting task, breaking it down, really helpful. Also, just sometimes giving yourself the freedom to like the first chunk of time that you're going to work on it, it's really just exploration time. I call it playing in the sandbox. It's a little fun. So like you have no idea really what this giant project is going to break down. Like you have no idea what the little pieces are going to be. So you go in with the intention of this first hour that I'm going to spend working on this website build, I'm really just going to play in the sandbox and explore all the possible things that need to happen allow myself to go down the rabbit holes with it. I investigate all the things. And then the next time you go into it, you're going to have a little more of a framework. Like, okay, I've already looked at all the things. Now I'm going to put some of it together, some of the pieces together and decide, make some decisions. Oh, I like that. The first hour could be discovery, if you will. I'm going to look at different website options that I know are out there. I'm going to think about what I really need to have for my business, what type of functionality I really need to have. I'm going to look at what looks easier, maybe through reviews. I might reach out in a group and ask other people what their websites are. And I'm going to do that for an hour. And then the way I would work, tell me what you think about this, this kind of leads to what I already do, is set the intention of what I will do for the next time I dedicate. I've done this for an hour. The next time I am picking a platform, signing up for the free version, because pretty much you can always test things for seven days and start looking at how you build it, something like that. Yes. And I love the way you said, I will pick a platform and sign up for the free trial because it's a clear result. So I think that is really helpful too. Like what is the result you're going to create in that time? And so you can measure that. Did I pick a free platform? Did I sign up? Am I starting to use it? Check. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I'm just going to work on building my website. It's so big and vague. What's the result you're going to create? every little time section that you go into working on it. Yes. And that gets all back to defining how to start because it's not just starting from the beginning. It's starting each time you pick up the project and moving forward. Yes. And I think it can be helpful for some people to do that, like 24 hours in advance for sure. So today, maybe look at what you're going to do tomorrow and what result are you going to create tomorrow? 
rather than waiting until the day of and trying to figure it out in the moment can actually feel stressful and harder. And you're deciding more from your feeling brain than your thinking brain. It can be hard though for people to plan it, say a full week out, two weeks out. I hear that. Like, how do I create my plan for the full week and know on say Monday what I'm going to want to be doing on Thursday or on Friday? For some people, it's not a problem. For others, it's really, really hard. I think when the prioritizing area of the brain's more affected, it can be really hard to know. And so even if you just do it 24 hours in advance, that can be helpful. Just deciding ahead of time. It doesn't have to be a whole week ahead of time. Or if you make a plan, it doesn't mean it can't be adjusted based on your new learning. Yes. Some rope that brings you from one wet stone to the next. I'm thinking of crossing a creek. <laughs> exactly. I love that. Slippery stone. So you're not just stuck not knowing because that's the worst time waster that I find is if I don't think about what the next thing is I'm going to do the next day or when I come back from lunch to my desk or whatever it is. And then I sit there and think, okay, now I'm here at work. What am I going to do? And you think about it for a half an hour. Yes. That's when the time just passes by. Yeah. Or you go into your email or then you go onto Facebook or then you didn't do an Instagram story yet today and then you're just all over the place. Yes. Wondering where the time went at the end of the day. Back to the website example for a second and thinking about getting overwhelmed. So if someone ran through this example that we were talking about, and obviously we can apply it to anything that anyone is encountering, but when there are lots of different options... We have the tendency to feel like there's one best one. How do I find in this big pile of all these options the best one for me? And that seems to produce a lot of overwhelm. How do you get through that? I think one of the tricks is to just decide that there's not one right way. What if all of the ways were right? All of the stones were right. There's no wrong choice. Which would you pick? And then choose one and adjust course. Choose one and adjust course. I think it's the thought there's one right choice. There's only one right way. Yeah. Yes. That is a thought that keeps us stuck. Feeling stuck, right? Thoughts create feelings. When we think there's only one right way, only one right option, the feeling it would create is stuck for many people. So pick one. I mean, that's why you did your research. With, and again, this applies to any topic. Pick something after you've, you know, put in some thoughts, some research, if that's appropriate to whatever you're working on at the time, and then make a choice and take some action. Yes, because if you were to break it down and ask yourself, what is the thing that I'm afraid of will happen? What is the worst case scenario? The answer would probably be that I choose the wrong thing or that I do the wrong thing. And that's always optional. Like you don't ever have to make anything that you do wrong. You're the only person deciding that. Right. And if you choose a platform that doesn't work for you, then you've had your seven days. You can go choose something else. You know, you see that a platform doesn't have the capabilities of what you needed, for example. Yeah. Okay. No harm done. Now you have that knowledge and you can move forward. So before you go test out another platform, you can cover and ensure that they have what you need. Things like that. Exactly. Winning or learning. You're either moving closer to accomplishing your, your goal, creating your result, or you're learning a lot along the way. One of the two. Right. And to your quote in the beginning, I mean, we have to mess up sometimes. That's how we learn. That's how we get better. I would also say that's how we become professional because we've put in the experience and now we have the knowledge. Yes. Put in the time, I guess, and now we have the knowledge would be the way to say that. I've heard the concept of 
decision fatigue where we only are able to make a certain number of decisions throughout the day. And once you hit your limit, you really shouldn't be making decisions anymore. Have you heard that before? I have heard that. I have. Yeah, I think it's maybe more about the energy that we spend making decisions. So if you can learn to make a decision in a way that uses much less mental energy, so faster, more intentionally, having your own back. So whatever you decide, lining up with it and not really beating yourself up or judging yourself for what you decide. I think making decisions, learning to make decisions in that way uses less mental energy. Yes. So making decisions faster and then sticking with your decision, because have you known people who make a decision and you think you're moving forward and the next day they come back and they're like, you know what? I don't know. You know, and then they start the whole process over again. Yes. And then maybe get into like a circle that they can't get out of. (laughs) Merry-go-round. They can't get out of. Right. A loop of indecision. Loop of indecision. I say a merry-go-round, you give the professional terms. <laughs> Loop of indecision, super professional. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> totally made up. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a little more professional than my merry-go-round, but that's okay. And to your point that there's not one single right decision. And because our decision was right for one person, maybe it's even somebody who has a business making a product similar to you. It doesn't mean that it's absolutely the right decision for you either. So there's never only one way, and none of this, luckily, is matter of life or death within our handmade businesses. Correct. And I think even in any moment, right, in the present moment, it may be the right decision. And that's why it's so good to back yourself up with it. Because a different moment, a different decision might be right for you. Like everything factors in. So that's why I think make your decision, stick with it, move forward. Right. And then a decision might be... I need to adjust because this wasn't the right option. That's also a decision. For sure. Yeah. I think what we're saying here, the common thread through all this conversation is to be intentional with your thinking, which then is intentional with your actions, and then actually follow through on your actions. And you can always think, adjust, and change, but you keep progressing forward. Learning from those adjustment points, too. And trust yourself. I feel like that's a big piece of it. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like that. Yeah, trust yourself. And be kind to yourself. The majority of people aren't doing what any of us are doing, making something, presenting it to the world, and selling it. That's exciting and a little bit scary. You're putting yourself out there. The majority of people will think about it and never do it. So kudos to you for doing it to start with. And then making adjustments, learning and tweaking and becoming smarter and more professional as you go. Yeah, be kind to yourself. I have one more topic that we have to dive into very quickly before we call it, and that is your term introverted extrovert. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say they're an extrovert, but when they do some of the personality tests, they're shocked to find that they are or have some portion of that in themselves. What do you say about this whole term? Do you define yourself as an introverted extrovert? Yes. A friend and I got in this discussion a few years back about this, and I get energy by being around people and connecting with people and interacting with people. So the definition for me of extrovert is someone who gets their energy recharges by being in the presence of others. And the definition of introvert is people that get their energy and recharge by having more like space and a quiet time, alone time. And so using those definitions... I feel like I'm on the extroverted end of the scale. I really love all the people like talking and meeting people. And 
there's like a sliver of me, like I'm towards the middle of the scale because I also really do enjoy like a quiet walk in nature by myself or being on the beach or reading a book. So I think that's where I got that introverted extrovert. I love it. I kind of feel the same way because I like being home by myself, doing things by myself, but I also like being around the children, being around my husband, definitely out at shows, you know, being surrounded by a lot of people. But then I also really like at shows going back to the hotel room and it being quiet and just me. It's a recharge. So I like both too. So people aren't really just one or the other. I don't think so. But I don't know. There are some people maybe that self-identify as one or the other. I guess mm-hmm. people fall on all places in the scale. Yeah. I just picked my place and set my marker in it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Made it up. <laughs> it's also something that we tell ourselves because I think there are also people who tell themselves, I'm an introvert. There is no way I'm going on Facebook Live, even though Sue tells me I should be doing this for my business. So it's things that we tell ourselves and your idea of being a little bit of both or being each one at different points in our day, too. Yes. Like, I don't think we have to be so channeled into what these terms mean, I guess is my point. So I loved seeing you saying that together. Yeah, that's a good perspective. I do think, yeah, we can turn it on when we need to also. There were times I remember like working trade shows at one point. I was like, oh, today I'm going to be extroverted. I'm going to be on the far end of that scale for me. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. I don't know. I like considering all the things. And I like that we're similar. It makes sense. It does. (laughs) Well, we can keep saying, yeah, yeah, (laughs) to each other back and forth. What would you say to somebody who's listening who is thinking, okay, I need to go back and listen to all of this and really think of how I can think more intentional. Will you just give a little bit of final direction to somebody on that? Yeah, I think it starts with awareness. So just being aware of when a big emotion comes up or when you're feeling some sort of way, be aware of what your brain is thinking. I don't think we're typically used to doing that. I think it starts there. And then being intentional is really choosing how you want to think. So if you want to continue in that lane that you're in, or if you want to choose to think about it in a different way, I think that is what being intentional is, like deciding on purpose what you want to think and when you want to think it. And then taking these steps can help you reduce your stress level because you're recognizing that this is really something good versus the old way of thinking, which was giving you a lot of stress and overwhelm, which I would suggest is going to produce better results for you, certainly just with your inner workings as a person and your happiness level, but also I think your output. For sure. Selling more products, getting things done, all of that. Absolutely. So when you're feeling a more positive emotion, the tendency to then create a positive outcome is much greater. Like your net positive output when you're feeling a positive emotion is higher. Makes sense. Share with us a little bit, Sean, what work you're doing within your coaching. Yeah. So I do two versions of coaching right now. I work one-on-one with clients for six months at a time. It's really a lot of thought work, mindset work with the awareness around ADHD and how that shows up. So I think that's kind of something I bring to the table. And then I also have a group program that reopens in November where I offer coaching calls for, I call it ADHD tendency brains, creative minds, basically, 
where they can come and get coached twice a week. And I talk about 10 minutes each call on a topic related to neurodiversity. So you do a little bit of educating and then also back and forth group coaching. Yes. On those calls. Yes. Wonderful. And where can people go if they'd like to learn more about you? They can go to my website. It's revealedpath.com. And I have a button on there. They can check out my blog or click to book a consult. I'm happy to talk with them. Perfect. Thank you so much. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you getting on the show today and talking about stress and ADHD, which we've never approached before on the show and just sharing with us. I mean, I already feel more comfortable just feeling like I'm going to remember what Sean said when I'm going to get stressed out. I'm going to do some intentional thinking. I'm going to flip the script and everything is going to be so much better. So the advice that you've given us has been fabulous today. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a maker at heart. I love your community. <laughs> Thanks. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. We all need to remember this. Our thoughts create our feelings. I've already written it down on a bright yellow sticky note displayed on my pen holder, so I can be reminded of it every day. It's something so powerful and in our control. Now, we just need to take advantage of its potential. Let's move our sights forward. And you guys, next week is Christmas. Can you believe it? I always want to bring you something super special and lighthearted for the holiday. And this is the best I've come up with ever. I'm not even going to tease you about who it is. I'm just going to tell you right now. We have the opportunity to talk with Heidi Swain a best-selling fictional author whose books revolve around stories that fit right in with our passions of handmade and crafting. We get a behind-the-scenes look of the life of a writer and gift of all gifts. She's going to read a section from one of her holiday stories. Topping it off with her British accent, it's absolutely magical. I know you're going to love it as much as I do. Thanks so much for spending time with me today. If you'd like to show support for the podcast, please leave a rating and review. That means so, so much and helps the show get seen by more makers. So it's a great way to pay it forward. And now be safe and well. Work diligently with that hot cup of cocoa next to you to get out all of your sales orders. And I'll see you next week on the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. I want to make sure you're familiar with my free Facebook group called Gift Biz Breeze. It's a place where we all gather and are a community to support each other. I've got a really fun post in there that's my favorite of the week, I have to say, where I invite all of you to share what you're doing, to show pictures of your product, to show what you're working on for the week to get reaction from other people, and just for fun, because we all get to see the wonderful products that everybody in the community is making. My favorite post every single week, without doubt. Wait, what? Aren't you part of the group already? If not, make sure to jump over to Facebook and search for the group Gift Biz Breeze. Don't delay. Come join us in Gift Biz Breeze today. <laughs>